Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I'm your host, Rob Griscofferson, and I'm joined today by one of the hosts of the Unbelievers, Russ Ryan. Russ, welcome back, man. Hey, what is up, Rob? Thanks for having me back, and I'm I'm excited to get into some uh, another great, great alien contactee. Yeah, man. Uh, so you recently had me on the Unbelievers, and uh, there was uh, there was a you know conflagration of robs on that podcast and now now the tables have turned my friend because we're going from one rust to another <laughs> yeah i don't think i was prepared for this either uh when you when you told me what you wanted to do for this it's gonna and I, this is a great opportunity for you seeing that i'm the only rust that's actually here for this uh yes. you can say all kind of disparaging stuff about me be like this rust is a real a real piece this guy and i'll be like what and be like, no 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 th- this rust yeah, this Russ. Yeah, we can we can totally, you know, mine the comedy gold here for uh, for some insults and everything. But yeah, today we're heading over to West Yorkshire in the UK and we're talking about Russell Kellett, the E.T. rider. Now, I want you all to picture a man on his bike right now and he thinks of himself as like the ghost rider of like kicking E.T. ass. This is what we're talking about right here. <laughs> and in the foreword of his book, he describes himself as a down-to-earth, no-nonsense, hardworking man from a down-to-earth, no-nonsense, hardworking family. He sounds like so, he's from the Midwest of the United States, not not yeah. of uh, not of England. And also, you got to admit, man, the cover of this book is pretty wild too. You get to see uh, E.T. Ryder, uh, yeah. the donned out full biker gear, riding a pretty a pretty badass, you know, looking hog. And there's all kind of alien, different alien ships and stuff behind him. But uh, as we're gonna learn in this, and he he talks a lot about Vespas for a guy that yes. looks like he's riding riding a big chopper. So I'll just throw that out there now. Yeah, he's he's all about. You know, he may think he's a badass, but he's all about that Vespa life, too. And, and you know, I got a little respect for that. So for, for those listening, this is a this is a Jeff episode. Jeff put in the work for this one. And, you know, you're going to get some some uh, classic uh, Jeff stuff here. So uh, one thing that he does note is that uh, he wants you to imagine Napoleon Dynamite right now. And that's it's. Accurate, it's a little accurate. Uh, instead but, of on a horse, though, he's on a Vespa, and, yeah. and this is another parallel for you being on our Carl Higdon episode because also one also has a striking resemblance to uh, to, to Napoleon Dynamite and a bit of butthead, but yes, yes, he does. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Russ Kellett, he has uh, he has some interesting hobbies, so yeah, he likes to he likes to ride his hogs, uh, he, he practices martial arts. He enjoys drawing centaurs and crafting swords, too, in his spare time. Uh, and like a road warrior, he spends most of his time cruising through West Yorkshire on his chopper. And the kicker is he also underwent military training to fight reptilians. But that's just, you know, that's an asterisk right now. Um, but this episode has it all, folks. Telepathic strippers, Eastern European aliens, uh, Yorkshire pudding, a lot of Yorkshire pudding and horse people. 
Yeah. Um, I'll throw out there might be a flying dolphin at some point. <laughs> yes, might be a flying dolphin for, for sure. So um, as all good UFO stories, this one uh, begins after uh, he was ghosted on a date. Um, so he, he heads back home on the shopper. And while he's uh, waiting at a, at a level crossing, he spots an object over these railway tracks and this beam of light descends and surrounds him and his, his motorcycle. So, you know, his motorcycles getting these juiced up superpowers, too. And uh, uh, he notices that um, the, the barrier at never descends. It never comes down. So whatever this light is, it's not from a train. And uh, if it's shining on you like that, uh, you're in the wrong place. I'm just, you don't yeah, want to be either there. in the rock video he dreams he's in or uh, an alien encounter is happening. Yes, exactly. Uh, so this is one of a series of events that are going to plague the life of this man. But he fondly recalls his childhood in Bradford, West Yorkshire, reminiscing about his parents, Rita, who was a cook, and uh, Jim, his father, who was a carpet weaver, uh, with a disability, and uh, his sister Julia in this loving, you know, household that that of people who like to listen to, you know, Beatles and Who records. So. Yeah, this uh, during, was the 60s, though, right? He grew up. Yes. Uh, so he's probably born, what, in the late 50s sometime? Yeah, somewhere around there. That sounds about right. Uh, and, and during those years, he often fantasized about becoming a superhero and beating the shit out of the bullies who made his life at school miserable. And he remembers the moment he was introduced to the concept of UFOs. And one day after his father returned from his night shift, he mentioned seeing a rectangular craft while taking a tea break with some of his coworkers. And as it turned out, many people witnessed the same UFO that day. And it later became known as the Thackeray UFO. And yeah, he was involved, actually uh, as a young dude involved in, uh, in almost mm -hmm. like an unsolved mysteries reenactment. Where, uh, you know, later on, you know, he would recall that, you know, my father, who was a disabled carpet weaver, yep. uh, had this amazing event and then told me about it. And I can swear he told me. And then it's an actual documented event. You know, multiple people have seen. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. Uh, always interesting when, you know, the the crazy thing that your father talks about uh, is apparently a mass sighting of something. And uh, yeah, that rarely happens. It doesn't happen that often. And, you know. Oh, you As know, the dad had to love it. Told you. Oh, That's, yeah. Oh, <laughs> called me crazy old carpet weaver. But I told you. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Russ, what do you do for a living? Are you a carpet weaver? I mean, I'm just. No, I'm just no, I, I, no. And I'm not disabled either. So <laughs> are you sure the story isn't about you? Um, I might. My, my, my dad might have been. I'm not saying that I, I do that. I'm more into cool stuff like I like swords and, uh, you know. <laughs> Things of that nature. Uh, do you do you enjoy draw, drawing horse people? Do uh, I? <laughs> I? I mix it up though. I like bull people as well. I'm very okay. into the, I, I was really into the Egyptian style from uh, Stargate stuff like that. Of course. Yeah. So I think uh, I think we've got a good picture uh, here of the Eye of Horus. Yes. <laughs> the eye of whole Russ and there's a lot of Russ here and uh so during one Christmas uh 
Russ has an encounter with some extraterrestrial beings. Uh, while he's searching for Christmas gifts, he, he climbs uh, the stairs and he goes into his grandparents' room and he and he finds a quote-unquote space gun tucked behind their bed with colorful lights, cool sound effects, you know, like all cool space guns have. And suddenly he heard the front door opened downstairs, which prompted him to hide the toy and like dash for it. And that was when he caught sight of a spaceman wearing a silver suit through the window in the backyard. And he's standing behind, beside a spacecraft. So the spaceman waves at him and he waves back, you know, it's all friendly and stuff. And then soon after the mysterious space visitor walked behind the craft and they both vanished into thin air. Um, that summer, he well, I want to friend- say, so this yeah. story here, this is one of the first uh, initial contacts he has. And yeah. I think this is very telling going forward with everything he experiences. Now, think about it. So he sees something and it triggers the idea of people in spaces. He sees a, a, a laser gun, a light up gun but hidden behind the bed that he's going to get for Christmas. It's one of those things you can see something, you know, it's for you in your house before Christmas as a little kid. He sees it. Mm-hmm. And then immediately this kind of experience happens where he sees this thing and he's and, and he almost becomes Ralph Wickham in that. And he's like, and then the alien was there and he waved at me and I waved at the baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Let's put a little Ralph Wiggum youth into it, as if he's telling us his tale many years later. Uh, yeah, no, and, and he kind of looks—he looks a little bit like Ralph Wiggum, you know, just just a little bit. You he's know, like beat an older up all version. the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Later seasons, he's having much wilder fantasies than early on. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so that summer, he and his friends they traveled to Heatley Woods to play with tin cans, as you did when they kid, as you were a kid. And after some time, he kind of just felt the urge to look up into the sky. And there he saw a spherical UFO. You know, it's red, white, and orange. It's got it's got all these beautiful colors on it. And he's eager to share the moment with his companions. And he points to the object and, he, and he's like, hey, guys, take a look at that thing. And, you know, the boys sprint toward it, but it just rapidly disappears in the clouds. Like, you know, these UFOs, they don't like their attention. They're like, hey, man, we're here for you. And you just kind of had to ruin it by bringing your friends over. So I'm getting out of here. Um Again, tin, he's playing with tin cans, which he can yes. associate with some kind of ship or, or capsule, and going, oh, look, a rocket ship. <laughs> Come see you guys. And he, but, you know, could be imagination. Yep, could be. Could be. So uh, he starts to hang out at this place called the Clubby. It's an area where older kids would meet, smoke cigarettes, drink booze, and read porn. You know, like all kids did back in the day. And I like, love that it's the Clubby. It could yeah. just, you know. It, these they, these were definitely preteen hangout plays. So it wasn't quite cool enough to be a club. It's just a clubby. Yeah, it's a clubby. Uh, the place was just kind of overgrown with trees, and it's kind of perfect for him and his friends to just shoot tin cans with BB guns. And uh, you know, uh, apparently this was a turbulent time when this was going down. There was a serial killer on the loose in the area, targeting women within and beyond Bradford, uh, which is where he resided. And the club, he also had the reputation of being haunted and is famous for being uh, uh, where the final wild boar in the area had been allegedly hunted down. I don't know how you track down those statistics, but somebody did. It and, must have been a big deal back then. There was like, yeah. one wild boar left. He's dead in the clubby. Let's yeah. it. 
It's in the clubby. And one day, Russ was alone in the in the clubby, smoking his cigarettes when he found himself engulfed in a bright light, mysteriously transported to a strange room. And he was sitting on a dentist chair with beings surrounding him. Everything was in slow motion. Uh, you know, kind of like a shitty action scene in a Zack Snyder movie. You know, you, you get the you get the vibe. You know what's going on. <laughs> He's almost but, describing it as he would if he doesn't know anything about, you know, dentist chair. When it's like when, when we're thinking of an abduction, it's like, oh, he just means the chair that all the, the abductees get strapped on. I understand immediately. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So he's reassured that, you know, he would not be harmed. And then suddenly he feels a sharp pain in his neck. Like, I, I don't understand why aliens do this because it comes up time and time again. Oh, we won't hurt you in that pain. The lies. The lies in the gaslighting. I will not accept it from these damn aliens. <laughs> just won't. Because they got all this technology. They don't have just the knockout button yet. You got to shove the thing in your neck while you're conscious. Yeah, exactly. Like, you didn't really need to, but you did it anyway. And, you know, they, they thoroughly examined his entire body. They're administering injections into his eyes, ears, arms, legs. He's repeatedly asked his captors uh, what was being done to him. But they're, you know, they don't say anything. Kind of like regular doctors, really. You know, they don't tell you what's going on half the time. Um but the next thing he knows, he's back. He's at the clubby, you know, um, at the clubby all alone. Um, so he's disoriented. He's suffering from a headache and he eventually returns home, hoping to catch some wrestling on TV. So hell yeah. Um, when I caught that, I was like, I'm trying to figure out what age he is. We, so we know he's in England and this yeah. is probably the 1970s. And I'm like, That's what I'm what, assuming. What wrestling was on TV then? Was it American wrestling at all? I was um, Did it come on I'm BBC? I had no idea. I'm assuming we're in um, WWWF territory at this time. Um, they're on, I think, I'm pretty sure they're on MSG at this point. Uh, what else is going on? I think NWA might have been on TV at this point. But um, yeah, I'm not sure if there were any local promotions over. In the UK, I'm sure there were Paige's some. Paige's grandfather but... was uh, wrestling, you know, William Regal's uncle or something, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> some, some backyard BB, uh, yeah, BBC wrestling. Yeah. So, you know, he goes to flip on the TV and he gets slapped to hell by his mother, who um, he had apparently been gone for just several hours. So we got some missing time here. Um, and his parents strictly prohibited him. Uh, from going to that area, ever going back to the clubby. Um, and from the clubby. Yeah. That was his first single after that. Exactly. It's it's sad when your own parents ban you from the clubby. I mean, it's uh, that's embarrassing. That's <laughs> He's really getting bullied at home now, too. Yeah. Uh, so that night, he had a strange dream about giant spiders and woke up to a growling sound, only to see a quote-unquote monster in the mirror beside his bed, peering at him from behind the headboard. So he bolts out of bed, he runs downstairs, and he recalls that the room always had a strange vibe, and many odd events had occurred in there. And his interest in UFOs just kind of skyrockets as he uh, enters his teenage years. And eventually, like all the cool teenagers in Hollywood movies, he moved to the attic and learned how to ride a motorcycle. Yeah. 
badass badass training because that's 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 what happens when you move to the attic you suddenly become the cool kid like every um every older brother that was featured in any like sitcom or anything moved to the attic he yeah. famously moves to the attic, right? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he got a motorcycle at some point as well. I remember yeah. trying to move in, uh, not move in, at least make like a clubby in the attic. And uh, <laughs> and our attic ceilings weren't very high. And it was South Louisiana. It was like a thousand degrees up there. And we're like, all right, this clubby sucks. Let's just go outside. <laughs> and, you know, that's, uh, sometimes you got to move the clubby outside. It's just not working for you. Um I understand those stuffy attics. I don't know how some people do it, but um, they make it work for them. But it will only work on sitcoms. No one has attics that yeah. nice. No, nobody has attics that nice. So he recalls, um, you know, being this rebellious teen. He gets in a lot of violent incidents at school, including one in which um, where an older kid just beat the hell out of him. And, uh, the, you know, in the bathroom, as you do. And the beating was so severe that he suffered brain damage and was hospitalized. And this may be an indication as to what we're going to get going forward, the the potential cause. So, um, yeah. And, and from this point on, it almost makes you think the recollection of the things we've heard before might not <laughs> be as uh, as well remembered as thought. Or they might be because it uh, those Actually, what we've gone through so far is fairly normal fare compared to, mm-hmm. to what's to come after after he get uh, he got this thrashing. Yes. Um, so he was expelled. Um, and uh, the, well, the, the, the guy that beat him up was expelled. And uh, Russell decided to drop out of school and just get a job. So one day he and a friend uh, with a similar interest in UFOs attended a meeting organized by the Ethereus Society. Uh, a new age cult um, from way back at the 50s. Uh, and, and I'm sure we'll cover them at some point because, like, you know, they're that contacty stuff is always just crazy. And yeah, it is good to see whenever they uh, cross over and stuff, too. They were definitely, yes. uh, definitely one of the weirder moments of the contacty era. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these are, you know, people trying to contact beings from Venus, uh, which is also the home planet of Jesus, if you didn't know that, and also Buddha. So um, their goal is to assist aliens, which they refer to as cosmic masters, uh, and is helping humanity advance into a new era through practices such as yoga and prayer. And, uh, you know, Russell never joined the cult uh, but attended many other UFO meetings over the years. Um, but during this time, he experienced... He's like, frequent- I'm not crazy. I'll, I'll go <laughs> no. to the meetings. I'm not yeah. joining them. I've got other <laughs> things to do. Yeah, like, you know, that guy that dabbles but doesn't want to dabble, doesn't want to put his full self in there. He'll He'll put a foot in, but that's about it. And he starts to experience frequent episodes of missing time. And you got to think like a guy with brain damage. Well, maybe that might make sense, you know, but, um, in addition due to the head injury, he also had migraines on the regular. So he began to meditate at a Druid's altar, uh, located in the town of Bingley, uh, and it's also known as a UFO hotspot where, according to legend, a Roman legion mysteriously vanished. Uh, yeah, when I saw that, in, I, I know I've uh, heard that story mm-hmm. in, in some UFO lore. I don't know if it was in uh, uh, Gods from Outer Space. But I know that 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 has definitely been thrown around. That, uh, yeah. That I, famous I, abduction. 
I'm assuming it's a, it was in like a Frank Edwards book at some point because it seemed like something Frank Edwards would throw into one of his books. Um, Prove me wrong. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the pagan temple was there and everything. Sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so the region has been the site of numerous encounters with humanoid entities, aliens, frog people, giant feline creatures. And one day while meditating, he envisioned a group of shadowy figures encircling him. Terrified, he jumped on his motor motorbike like, you know, the cool kid from the Bad News Bears and just took off down the road. He's not he's not down. He laid a shadow suckers. Yeah. And on his way home from his friend's house one evening, he came across some kind of tunnel in the middle of the road. And this tunnel is going to keep coming back up like um I keep getting like um, Joe Hill's Nosferatu vibes. If anybody's ever seen the show that was on AMC or read the book, like um, one of the main characters like can travel, uh, can travel to wherever. Let me try and figure out how to put this. She can go find something. If she thinks about it in her head and travels over this one bridge, it'll take her to where she wants to go. And like this, this kind of has that vibe, except um, things are going to get a lot weirder, uh, a, a lot, lot weirder. But uh, the next thing he knew, he was naked in a reclining chair surrounded by several tall, bald men wearing skin tight suits. And I mean, when's the last time you passed into a tunnel and this just happened like that? But, you know, I, I mean... It's it's a tale as old as time, Grail. Of course, because you always yeah. got to watch out for that one tunnel. It, it, it does seem to be the one thing that kind of anchors his life in many mm -hmm. ways, and uh, and he can't stay away from it though, or he can't stay away from him. It's hard to tell. Okay. No, this tunnel just keeps coming up. Uh, they placed um, something around his neck, and it gave him like a painful injection, and then inserted a tube down his throat. Uh, attached to a helmet, you know, like getting total fire in the sky vibes right now. And uh, after being sprayed with a smelly substance, the floor rose to a higher level into an arena where aliens were barking orders and training soldiers. Finally, he was led to a room where the tube and helmet were removed. He was joined by numerous naked men who were all forced to consume a citrusy liquid from a pipe that came out of the wall. Um, the liquid made them all ill, causing them to vomit uncontrollably, leading to a scene reminiscent of the pie eating contest in Stand By Me. It, it you could just picture that in your head right now. Um, see, the whole point of this, I I, I wonder now. Now, as as the story has gone on, he's immediately jumped to, um, kind of stories you've almost heard from like John Storm and other of the super soldier things, which, which is curious because I mean I don't he didn't tell his story till very recently and it, it, as if I'm trying to follow the timing of this because those kind of stories we don't really hear much about alien super soldier training and all that till I don't know the late 80s maybe I mean they yeah. talk about things happening but they didn't actually come out with those stories at the time so. Uh, yeah. So what what do, what do you think the uh, the liquid would be? Do you think the aliens are just purging them? Like, all right, get all the whatever KFC you guys have scarfed up. We don't want any of that on here. Just no. let's get it all out because you have to fight. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't need any of those earthly substances. We need you at peak physical form, which means you can't have anything weighing you down. And Lord knows that bucket of chicken that you just consumed is not going to be helpful out on the battlefield. So you got to get that out of your system. And we That's don't have time for you to shit it out. We need to make room for pudding, as we're going to yes. hear. Yes, Yorkshire pudding. Lots of it. So some kind of mist comes over them, and according to the aliens, it was to prevent infections. 
And first, the men were instructed to put on a one piece suit with the texture of a lace curtain. So I like that. I like this fancy. Yeah, it really is. And it probably probably looks a little dashing. A bunch uh, of dudes who just puked to go around. Hey, this looks pretty good. Hey, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of. Oh, it's we look quite proper. Yeah, I got to realize these guys are British. They're like, oh, look, I look like a king. Exactly. Like, I'm picturing them all, um, you know, in that episode of Seinfeld, the puffy shirt. That That's what we're at right now. That's where we're at. And uh, yeah, the, the color spectrum of the suits gradually shifted from, you know, white to yellow, green, blue and black. And then following what was possibly the shortest military tra- uh, military training in history, lasting only a few minutes, during which they learned to operate battery-powered rifles by firing at crystal balls. They were transported to an underground base where they engaged in combat against 10-foot-tall reptilians. Or maybe here. the equivalent of shooting tin cans with BB guns <laughs> and, and fighting large bullies in yes. bathrooms. Yes, this is... Uh, yeah, but the, the story's much less advanced. It's not just him. He is part of a, a large program where we're meeting. We meet a lot of aliens in this. I mean, too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. There's there's a lot of aliens in this. And um, when shot in the chest, they would expand and explode. Like, you know, when you defeat a boss in Super Mario World. Um, it does sound like he does have to go through a level, like a level mm-hmm. of like an Area 51 game. Like, oh, this is the one where you, guess what? You know how to write fire battery rifles and you got to shoot a bunch of aliens now a reptilian to be this is the reptilians right yeah reptilians uh always the forever enemy here and uh, you know it's gonna get the, the battles are gonna get intense here folks but there's explosions everywhere heads busting and people uh you know uh, one day from retirement, dying while uh, clutching photos of their families. It's it's pretty intense. And despite having zero combat experience, Russ channeled his inner 80s action hero, expertly dodging laser fire by rolling behind cover and delivering sick one liners as he kicked plasma grenades back at the reptilian enemies and watched them turn into bloody confetti. That's exactly how it went down. Lake sweep and Ed Walters like fighting right away. I love it. It's un American. Just remember that. It's un American. Uh, <laughs> so then finally make it to the final boss the 10 foot tall, bald man with blue eyes. The worst that they could come up with. Uh, quote, then he just walked away out of the room. No sooner had he gone out of the room than the team member who seemed to want to be the best in the exercise looked at me and said, I don't think he likes you, big boy. (laughs) I turned my head and there was a tall, slim man. He had red hair. He had ice cold green eyes. I said to him, I think I get that, Judas. He looked at me and said, I have not been called that before. He then smiled. I then said, big boy, very original. Did you think that all up? Did you think that up all on your own? Now there was sniggering and low laughter from the other men, end quote. This is very much like that guy had to be Carl Weathers in his mind, too. There's definitely his uh, his partner in this. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so. This whole thing was a battle exercise. The aliens telepathically congratulated them all. And the remaining 20 were promoted to three different ranks, though Russ lists four of them for some reason. Corporal, Private, Lance Corporal, and Sergeant. 
So, you know, I love when people have discrepancies in their own books, you know, <laughs> they can't. Well, he's rising. That's how it works. You know, he learned how to fight in three minutes. And they're like, and now you get the rank of private corporal, staff corporal, major. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. He's just he's just like climbing those ranks. It's like a, you know, a montage that we're getting. And, you know, they were taken to their new quarters where they were briefed by tall, bald men. Um, who me described looking at uh, looking like uh, the, the French Dracula Nosferatu? <laughs> and, and as we all know, Nosferatu yes. was not French. <laughs> it was not French, you know, which made me think that he has seen non Nosferatu, but maybe after wrestling, a French dub came on and he's like, oh, yeah, Nosferatu, yes. Oh, yeah. Le Le, le Ferratu Nos. Yes, I know him. He's that he's that fancy French uh, vampire. Yeah, the totally French, fancy French vampire that that we all know and love. Um, Maybe it's like the fashion guy. He's like he dresses like a Frenchman. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So the tall being then informed him that he was now part of the Omega One Regiment Unit uh, One under Judas's command who was assigned as the unit leader. Finally, he announced that a mission would soon be planned, allowing everyone to relax in their free time now. And but he's just naming people, and they're like, I mm -hmm. like it. I will be Judas. No one's, yes. no one's called me that. <laughs> no one's ever called me that. Mm. I mean, in my imagination it works, but, you know, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So... Uh, consequently, most units settled on their beds, which had no blankets or pillows, uh, with some, you know, opting to lie down, I guess. Uh, Russ describes how the kitchen diner area was equipped with a screen where one could make their food and drink selections, which would then instantly materialize in front of them. I assume this is the next phase for, like, McDonald's and shit. Like, they're... Look, we're is... getting close there, yeah. And I feel like yeah. Star Trek had already been out for a while, too. Like, even, uh... Even David Wilcock likes to still go to this. He is always amazed with the food materializer. Yes. Uh, just uh, somebody's got to get on this. Like, uh, I assume we're going to get this within 10 years. I mean, it's got to happen. Um, the, the food was packaged in a container resembling a, a toothpaste tube and was served with a spoon and a plastic cup of orange juice that tasted like apple juice, which struck him as peculiar. <laughs> See, it's the details. He knows it's in there. Like, if you can, you can very precise details about the food. Uh, yeah, I, I love, I love details in all of these, these kind of stories. But, um, you know, although the chicken in Yorkshire pudding Russell had consumed came out of a tube, he he had nothing but high praise for the aliens' cooking. Uh, and after dinner. He just went to bed. He woke up riding his Vespa coming out of a tunnel. That's right. We've gone from a hog to a Vespa. And uh, which know, I'm starting to think it always was the yeah. way he uh, I know he presents himself as one way, but uh, he, pr pretty much here on here forward. He remembers. Oh, yeah, I was just riding a Vespa. Yeah. So he's disoriented and nauseous and he managed to make his way home. Um and and the following chapter replicates, uh, you know, the one that we have described, except the addition of, you know, 10 foot tall grays. So, like, he likes to rewrite the same chapters over and over again. And he just puts, you know, different beings in them. Like, he literally copy and pasted, like, <laughs> the chapter and just put grays in there. 
I guess if you would call this almost part three of his adventure, you got all the young stuff and then the training and everything, and then it just does it all again, but this time it's gray aliens, and uh, mm -hmm. he almost has to go through the same thing. It's like he's getting ranks from every different, you know, every different uh, alien species just fighting to have this guy with them. Yeah, yeah, and... Man, uh, he recounts how he injured his knee while training at a, at the karate dojo. Uh, he landed awkwardly because uh, he was doing wall jumps. You know, he's doing some parkour shit. And as a result, he was, he was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and as a result, he was invited to visit uh, Alan, a retired man. And Alan's name is spelled differently multiple times throughout this book. Uh, he, he had studied martial arts in the Far East during the 1950s, hoping that acupuncture could help heal his knee. And as he was making his way to Alan's house, he claims to have seen a towering spaceman who began to trail him from a distance. And once he arrived, the retired martial arts enthusiast mentioned the oddities in the area and recounted his own experiences with UFOs, including one in which he witnessed a craft firing a beam of light into a nearby lake, narrowly missing a boat, which is a dick move. Like, it's a big lake. You could have gone somewhere else. It's literally fish in a barrel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then following the acupuncture session, Russ hoped he hopped on his bike and he began his journey home. And along the way, he came across the familiar tunnel. He found himself experiencing the same events that he had just recounted in the pre in the previous two chapters. Only this time, they were real and not a training exercise. His unit was accompanied by a team of Eastern European telepathic scouts that could teleport anywhere like Nightcrawler from the X-Men. This time, they faced an enemy he referred to as a, quote, dragon race of aliens like reptiles. <laughs> So it, it, things were so easy in the beginning, you know, he's just rolling around, wall running on, on mm. reptilians, blown away with his battery gun. The gray is pretty much the same thing. They're just, it's a, so he's got to bring it back a little bit. Like, all right, well, yeah, yeah, I'm amazing and badass, but there is challenges out there. Don't get me wrong. There's these, there's these shape-shifting blue dragon things. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he gives the aliens uh, who abduct him the acronym of TWBA, which stands for Tall White Bald Aliens. Terrible. <laughs> One of the most terrible acronyms I've seen. I was even trying to make it into a word. I guess he did the best he could. Yeah, he, 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 he you know, he's a uh, bot. Bot might have worked. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it would have made more sense than TWBA. Um, and he use which he uses this to protect their identity identity as uh revealing their true identity could result in significant harm to either himself or the aliens so then in the middle of a 15 page long action scene that reads like the opening of saving private ryan set in the world of james cameron's aliens russell is promoted to the rank of team leader three a few pages later he misremembers and he refers to himself as team leader two that's a three that's a <laughs> Wait, I was actually number two. There was another guy. That's a story for another day. But don't worry, I was definitely team two. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally two. Or, or uh. team two bit it really quickly. He was like, right when we got there, you know, I'm team three leader. And then uh, five minutes later, okay, now I'm team two leader because we've become one team. Yep. And after the battle, he wins every battle here, folks. The, the Spoilers. The man doesn't lose. He doesn't miss. Um only was, in the real, only in on actual on Earth, did mm -hmm. he ever have any kind of problems of defeat or anything like that? Like his mom would slap him or get beat up in the bathroom, but all, on other worlds with all this training and everything, yeah. 
Yeah, which yeah, it also lends credence to this like idea it's that it's it, it, it's a fantasy of you know him playing out like you can look at the events in his life and see how they would be a fantasy that are playing out uh for him and how he's the hero in this story in his own story you know and he put it out there and the, i gotta say the, the part about it that bugs me just because everything you hear is something you can kind of reference like we're getting to the point of almost like universal soldier but a lo- also a lot of just you know you know the guy from early on, he admitted he had a deep interest in UFOs. His father had a UFO experience. He's always sought those things out. Uh, but what what is the published date on the book, which I think is the majority of information comes from, right? Um, Isn't it? Uh, uh, that's a good question. I, it's relatively new. Um, <laughs> oh, you don't say. Yes, E.T. Rider is uh, relatively new because yeah, I think that's what it's hard. I was very interested to hear. Um, I don't know what he sounded like. I was having trouble finding interviews of him. Yeah, you you would look at the book cover and think it might be from 1983, but no. No, yeah, that recent. book cover does look old as hell, but um, uh, it looks like, yeah, it was published in 2021. Um, yeah, and you get a great shot of the gate on, yep. on there, the, the famous gate being shot by a, a UFO. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it's, 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 so, yeah, we just given when this is published, there's, there's a lot of inspiration. This might make sense why we haven't uh, ever, he's never been come across a lot in, uh, mm-hmm. in years or in shows would surely some kind of show would have recreated this at some point. There's so many UFO shows that just, yeah. and, and, uh, unsolved shows that would just do a story like this for any aspect of it. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you're going to do Stardust Ranch, you can easily do this. <laughs> I didn't realize that the uh, the tag of the book is original super soldier. Yes, the original super soldier. I'm the OSS soldier. from the clubby. Yeah, he absolutely from the clubby. Uh, that he was OSS, banned to go. So, there you go. Oh, oh, God, I'm being drawn in. Uh, so after his battle, he's escorted to a throne room by two TWBAs who are dressed in, in hooded robes. Inside, he found 12 thrones arranged in a circle, and two 15-foot-tall aliens greeted him with a piercing blue eyes. They informed him that he possessed the qualities of a telepath and that their species needed individuals like him to defend their homes. And after this encounter, he was escorted back to his quarters, where he enjoyed a meal of chicken, vegetables, and a ton of Yorkshire pudding. Which was, you know, not in toothpaste form this time. It was actual, you know, is actual food. And that later, thing stuck out. his his the food is always so regional to him yes. Uh, yes. that the aliens provide. And no one ever mentions that. It's not like people from New York are like, well, they gave me two pizza the first time, but later is right. It's never. I don't think the aliens have tubes of of local food around. Even yeah. if you know you get a if you get to completely nitpick it. Yeah. So. He talks with Judas and, you know, they kind of get into a lot of stuff. The TWBA are are apparently not fond of warfare. uh, And as a result, they recruit humans to assist them in fighting ongoing conflicts for eternity, which seems like a lot of bullshit. Like, if you're involved in a lot of warfare, you're going to go get somebody else to fight your war for you? Like, what the hell is this? Uh, It's just... It seemed like so much work to get the humans though. Like mm-hmm. just yeah, it almost feels like uh like their own like uh, real like uh real worldish video games that they're playing against each other. Like just, might as well just play it out in some virtual world instead. That's what you're doing essentially. Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. So 
According to Judas, the war was triggered by a rift between two factions, one good and the other evil, which has since spread to Earth and beyond, resulting in siblings and families fighting one another, as well as nations and entire planets. One night, Russ decides to go to a party and try to hit on a girl he had feelings for. Unfortunately, his anxiety overtook him, and he ended up getting lost and was unable to locate the house. This is a tale as old as time. Any nerd knows this kind of shame, and uh, the, the, and realistically, there's no shame in this. If you are, if you've ever been in this situation, my heart goes out to you because. It's true. And- this is actually yeah. the first mention of a woman in this in this story since his mom slapped him, I believe. So I was kind of like, okay, or there might be a little interest there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, his hopes deflated. He returns home and, and he has another missing time experience, which left him with a splitting headache. And the next day, he got a call from... Uh, his buddy Alan, which now uh, originally his name was spelled A L L E N, now it's spelled A L A N. I think he just meant to write Alien the first the first go through, and then he yeah. realized you wrote Alan a few times. Like no, 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 he was he, he's Alan. He's not yeah. an alien. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, it's A L A N. See, it's not Alan. Yeah, A-L-A-N. totally. Uh, so he decides to visit him, and on his way to Alan's house, he comes. Uh, he uh, came to. The tunnel again. This time, the TWBA put an uh, exposition helmet on his head, and this helmet Most spot on name ever <laughs> for alien equipment. Like, yeah. He just knew that term, exposition. And yes, of course, go on. I, I wonder what the exposition helmet could possibly do. Right, and like the thing is, like this has um, Pierre Fortunato's Anfreda vibes when the aliens put the helmet on his head so that they could talk to him like there's a lot of those those vibes but the helmet informed him that he was a soldier in a galactic war fighting for an alien race that served as both technicians and servants to their creators the aliens also held positions as generals and commanders and were determined not to be mere cannon fodder in ongoing conflict uh upon russ's inquiry about why he was selected to fight in a war that did not concern him the helmet responded with you're one of us Hearing this, he exclaimed, I am one, and suddenly found himself back on the road riding his Vespa. The most embarrassing way to get out of that. Oh, gosh, I'm on my Vespa riding through the tunnel again. God damn, that tunnel, that tunnel I keep coming across. It's almost as if I don't go anywhere and I write down everything that's actually happened to me. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, I want to see the real journal, not the secret journal that he published. So, um, you know. He, he could not stop thinking about the words, I am one, for the next few days. Uh, and to cope with this persistent thought, he decided to shave his head, but unfortunately did a horrible job, resulting in cuts all over his scalp and blood spattered everywhere. And, now, I have and, a question for this. As a guy, Rob, as a guy who uh, shaves his head quite a bit, uh, is it that hard to uh, do? I mean, is this a special oh. skill you have to learn? I know you have to pay barbers and such, but uh, how is he so bad at cutting his own, uh, just shaving his own head? It's not hard. I do it at home myself. So all you got to do is just get some clippers and go to town. It's not that hard. All this technology he's uh, he's learned and, and, you know, been downloaded all this information. And he can't uh, function a simple razor. No. No, razor's too hard. That's uh, real world. Like I said, he's bad yeah. at real world stuff. Girls, Vespas, you know, mm-hmm. every other experience. When he's in the actual trenches, though, yeah, he's gold. He's uh, he's a different guy in the trenches. Uh, 
Uh, and in addition, his family was bewildered by his actions and could not fathom why he would do such a thing, especially after spending 20 uh, pounds bleaching his hair. Um, his dad... <laughs> so, uh, he was going through like, his new age phase or something at this point. Like, yeah. It was hard to nail down some of the years of when, when this stuff was actually going on. So I'm assuming at this point he's like, this is the 80s still. He's riding around his Vespa. These yeah. experiences are still happening. He's never touched a woman on Earth yet. <laughs> Yeah. And his dad even remarked he must he must have more money than sense. So, you know, um, um, finally, he would have said Russ- dollar reduced than sense. It would have been, actually been like even a better joke. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, finally, he uh, also became convinced that the Who's song I'm One, which he mistakenly refers to uh, is I am one held a secret message meant for him. So, like, he's kind of veering into Charles Manson territory here. Yeah, I was about to say he also might have uh, actually called his headphones. Uh, what, what was the name of the helmet he had on the uh Oh, the exposition helmet. Yeah, he he calls the ex, the exposition helmet is actually headphones to him. So maybe he just put those on and he was listening to the Who. Yeah, and uh, this whole event happened. Yeah, he see he does leave little hints though. Okay, so the Who's put that song out now. I guess if you want to track when this is, it's definitely when the Who was uh, releasing this. Yep. So our hero started hanging out with karate masters around that time and one night on his way home he came upon the tunnel again but it was attached to a craft this time so we get another copy and paste but this time a new race of aliens joins the club blue dragons following a grueling battle on a hostile alien planet against reptilians blue dragons and eastern european looking aliens russ found himself as one of only three survivors on his team after a bomb was dropped on them despite their apparent victory the aliens fled the scene leaving him confused and disoriented In a strange turn of events, Russ was transported back to the base by a crystal ball. Despite suffering a a humiliating loss, one of the alien leaders, whom Russ had nicknamed Joe, still extended his congratulations to Russ and his surviving comrades for their effort. So... It's almost a Phil Schneider moment where, they, yeah. you know, it really hit the fan for him out there because Blue Dragons, you know, yeah, they could get the other dragon guys, the, the Nightcrawler guys, but these these seem to really overwhelm them because mm-hmm. as every, every story, but every story is the same. Like, all right, we had to get together, we went down yeah. here, and we had a fight, and this time, not so good. But, of course, he survives, and Joe, I don't So I did see that the song I'm One is from 1973, so he's, he's progressed a little bit. That's how I would have been out for a while. Yep. So things took an even more bizarre turn for him when he was struck by a beam of light while riding his bike at night, causing his face to turn bright red, eventually resulting in his skin peeling off. And when he consulted a doctor regarding his condition, he was asked whether he had recently been exposed to radiation. Ugh. So now he looks like Freddy Krueger, and yeah. he's definitely not going to be able to find an, an earthly date. He might look a little more alien now, though, so... No. Yeah, th- this, you know, um, this is not going well to him. And to add to it all, he was unexpectedly abducted and brought into a room with a checkered floor where he found himself surrounded by knights. Just 
or he was playing chess, maybe yeah. while he's healing. Yeah, who knows? Either one of those things would be possible. Yeah, the possibilities are there, and they're very obvious at times. And one update, they were actually Mandalorians. Uh, yes. I didn't know oh, yeah. that those oh, were yeah. a thing, uh, but those are space knights. <laughs> yes, space knights. Yeah, and they got armor. That's cool. Uh, and they got jetpacks. Um, so one night. He was visited by 15 foot tall shadow people who phased through the walls and showed him a vision of war and chaos. Later, after taking a sip of his energy drink, he became extremely ill, started sweating profusely and developed a fever, which I mean, if you've had an energy drink, I anytime. Say, this is very common. This is the yeah. only this is the most normal thing I've heard so far. It did sound like the big uh, the big shadow guys from the club. He finally returns. He got away from those guys a long time ago. Like. Bro, your parents don't care anymore. You can come back to the club. He's like, no, the <laughs> band. I just can't. Come back. It's fine. I can't bring my Vespa back there. It just they never said I could go back. <laughs> no, they didn't give me permission. And he was convinced the shadow people poisoned his energy drink. <laughs> because if that's, of course, what shadow people would have to do to ever uh, do anything to a yeah. human. Like, like it's a very you know, convoluted shadow person plan. You know, it's like that meme about not wanting to see the um, shadow people, uh, the hat man, because the, you owe the hat man money. Like, this is the same kind of situation, you know, like, I think he owes him money. Like, it's, it's plain and simple. Um, so, you know, those extra batteries weren't free. Like, yeah. you came to us. <laughs> said the blue dragons were overwhelming you we didn't know what you were talking about we thought you were tripping yeah exactly uh, exactly uh so he sat in front of the television watching the news and as it reported that the american army had successfully taken control of kuwait this event eerily mirrored the vision that he had experienced earlier with the shadow people uh he had a nagging feeling that the war wasn't really about terrorism or oil. It was portrayed on the news, uh, but rather for the possession of advanced alien technology. He also had the, a sense of deja vu as if he had fought reptilians there. I'm pretty sure when Saddam was going after Kuwait that like that 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 was all like an Indiana Jones that was, mm -hmm. was just never made. You know, Saddam wanted these these great artifacts. Maybe the aliens wanted them too. The U.S. wanted them. I think I might have been there fighting for uh, as a uh, as leader of Group Two. Yeah, of course it triggered. So now we know we're in the '90s. Like now yes. he's a much older man. Uh, now love it. Yep. And as he drove home from his friend's house one evening, he once again. Went through this damn tunnel, uh, and this time he was introduced to a telepathic stripper raised by aliens named Mandy. Uh, according to Russ, most telepaths are women, and the aliens... They are, yes. Yeah. I've been said that all my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> and the aliens had paired them up like Riggs and Murtaugh and Lethal Weapon because the reptilian race had to put a bounty on the heads of all telepaths, making it safer for them to work in pairs. Um... Finally, so, a woman has entered his life. A yeah. woman named Mandy. Russ, yes. he's got Mandy now. They're teamed up. And, uh, you know, now we're in the 90s. X-Files is out. It's a little Scully and Mulder kind mm -hmm. of vibe. But you've got, you got Russ and Mandy. Great team. Super oh, The OSS. Yep. The only thing OSS ever stood for. Original Super Soldier here. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And Mandy, the... So, break it down a little. She, so, she is a, a telepathic uh, stripper. And she's human. Apparently, yeah. Pretty great. She, yeah, yeah. Uh, great team. It, That's a great show. 
Yeah, it is. Telepathic strippers. Let's get it on the air. Uh, it'll be perfect for like the sci-fi channel or something. I don't know. Featuring but... Russ from OSS. Yes, right. exactly. <laughs> so Mandy explained to Russ that the masters who had a hand in creating everything in the universe had a falling out with one of the other creators. This led to a great exodus of brothers and sisters who had become enemies. And these enemies had become very strong and numerous. They promised great rewards to those who would fight on their side against the Masters, and many were willing to stand against them. To combat this threat, the Masters had to find people who would fight alongside them. However, there was a catch. Anyone caught fighting on their side would face death. And after a couple of chapters in which, you know, Russ talks about motorcycles, eating fish and chips and his tendency to aggressively storm out of rooms whenever people would bring up UFOs. He finds himself abducted again this time. I was about to say, OK, I know those stories are a little boring. Think of those as the Ant-Mans of what we're yeah. leading up to the end game. This yes. is Ross's end game yeah. coming up. He's had to build it up and he's building up his forces. He works with Mandy. He's got long time contacts. He's got his boys, Judas, mm -hmm. his Joe. There's some, uh, the WATPs or WATBs, whatever they were, <laughs> got those guys out there. So he's kind of built up all his forces and, uh, and he actually tries to get to some sort of conclusion. Yes. So this time Russ, Mandy and their team were taken to Mars. Their mission was to destroy the reptilian space. Unfortunately, the entrance to the base was a hologram. After struggling to find a way in, they were attacked by reptilians who kept using their teleportation devices to dematerialize, making them extremely hard to kill. Uh, they would have just been fodder if they they got totally tricked. They were totally like, mm -hmm. all right, we got to get our ass to Mars. We're going to get these guys. And they're just holograms floating yeah. around everywhere, like two pop uh, popped up at one point like I'm in the clubby and he, yeah. like, he disappeared too <laughs> yeah yeah like like Tupac they uh, ripped him right from Coachella and he's just like making an appearance uh, right in the oh, middle oh you think they what do you think they sold it like of course they're still using the Tupac uh, yeah. hologram oh uh, yeah of course, they are. of course they are they, uh, they just they shipped him off world that's all um, and he came across at this point a giant orange dragon and sadly, the actual fight is criminally anticlimactic as Russell is defeated in a matter of seconds with a quote unquote sound weapon, causing it to explode after neutralizing the threat posed by the smaller orange dragons and their human allies. Russ and his team successfully secured the base later. They didn't even go inside of its mouth and no. leave uh, space bombs or anything like no. that no. and pop out or do anything. Yeah, you just use a little sound weapon and it just immediately just evaporates. Yeah. And after, at least Princess Leia had to strangle Jabba the Hutt. I know. Like, there was a little effort. I know. Like, and you got to think after a certain point, she would have been able to use the force to do that. Me, I, I figured she would have been able to by then. But, you know, sometimes that change just does the job for you. And uh, it's at this point that Russ uses telepathy to confess his love to Mandy. However, due to his lack of experience, he failed miserably, resulting in everyone around them hearing his pathetic declaration of love in their minds. This has got to be the most embarrassing moment for him. When, when, okay, you've got the telepath. I guess you could just take her aside and tell her, but he's really trying to stunt here. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, you know, I know she can read my mind, but so can everyone else. This is also like the comedic, Guardians of the Galaxy kind of moment where, yes. you know, this is this is when Drax is just getting his mind read by the Mantis or whatever. And they're cracking up like this would be in the trailer, like uh, Russ going, Andy, 
you might be the most telepathic stripper I've ever met. <laughs> and I love you so much. And they're all hearing this and you're hearing their inner dialogue and, and they're just loving it. Yeah, they're 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 absolutely going nuts for it. So he gets abducted again. This time his mission is to find a group of scientists providing white dragons with sick new technology take down a group of African humans fighting alongside the dastardly spaceless like what the hell and rescue enslaved people working in their minds. So this we're about to hit a dramatic shift where we've learned about so many different uh, mm -hmm. aliens in fight. Now we're just going to get into a lot of different uh, human races that yeah. are somehow involved in, and this is just the beginning. Yeah. The racism starts to appear. It's ugly. <laughs> really starts to come out and he must be hitting his forties or something. I don't know where he's like, you know, I'm not really worried about uh, but these African guys. Let me tell you. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so instead, he takes down a bunch of aliens he refers to as the Chinese race, but does succeed in rescuing the slaves. A small number of Chinese soldiers who managed to survive were taken into custody and subjected to interrogation using a device to manipulate their minds before being executed by gunfire. Like, what the hell? Like, what the hell, man? Um... He recalls this is, when, this is when it really gets weird, where you're almost yeah. like you, you pull forward as a fun story and uh, and you're like, wow, you really kind of got off towards the end of your thing. It's almost like you you, you had your conclusion. You didn't know how to write it. So you blew up a, a dragon in a bad way. It's like, no, no, no. I also uh, I blew up some uh, some Africans. I blew up some Chinese people as well. They were part of the uh, sinister slaving. They were like Chinese slavers involved with aliens. It yeah. becomes a, like a major point. Yeah. He recalls, quote, I could not believe my eyes. There was no mercy at all. This is the reality of war here. Not like we have with the Geneva Convention. Something tells me that they, the TWBA, would not accept to join the convention. End quote. <laughs> He's like, there must be some kind of, I don't know, cleansing maybe that we could do. Uh would be nice it would be nice so i'm already killing al aliens of many different planets yeah yeah so in recognition of his bravery russ was bestowed with a medal and a hooded cape by the alien superiors however the celebrations were short the reptilians hacked the twba security system to stop them russ and his men were sent to another reptilian base Unfortunately, things went south quickly. Russ was shot twice by the enemy and left for dead by his comrades. He was captured and tortured by dragon people and showed mercy because he had done so before. He was put in a reptilian jail and eventually rescued by the TWEA just when he needed to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Russ, you're one of the good ones. We know we're not going to murder you. We know you're bleeding out because you're this white hooded robe you have is white, of course, yeah. and we can see the blood going through it. Yeah, what is that? They gave me. He's like basically donning like a clan. Like then, then they gave him my clan hood, and I'm like good to go. And uh, but right. unfortunately, it, I used to wear camouflage, so I would be I could be sneaking around, run on walls. Now I just have a giant white uh, outfit on, so I just stand out. And I got shot immediately. Yeah. In his yeah. long career of fighting aliens and everything, this is the first time he's really gotten injured. Yeah. Unfortunately, upon his release, he was stripped of his uniform, rifle, and helmet and watched as they were incinerated in accordance with TWBA customs. Adding insult to injury, Russ was subjected to a rude interrogation by his superiors who, subject who suspected that their arch enemies had implanted him. 
back on earth russ started this is the scene this, yeah. no this is the yeah. scene where they're they're taking his badge away like yeah. put your gun on the table and but yeah. this is way more disrespectful as if the, like the chief took your gun and just starts smashing it on his desk and like yeah. you know was trying to bite through his badge and everything like really really rubbing it in oh yeah yeah that's that's exactly what's happening here and uh Back on Earth, Russ started opening up about his experiences to his friends and was mainly met with disbelief and ridicule. Hmm, interesting. Uh, he develops an interest in survivalism and aspires to acquire his own plot of land where he can sustain himself. With his friend, Les, they talk about opening a, a, an outdoor survival center. And while looking around for a plot of land for sale one day, he had flashbacks of an abduction involving an Eastern, uh, the Eastern European aliens and the quote unquote Chinese ones, but a taller version wearing samurai helmets. So samurais. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, so this is like a Russian Chinese alliance, basically, mm -hmm. of uh, of a. Uh, I don't know of just that. There's nothing else. He's just having visions of this. Now. Yeah, like it's 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 moved from just it becomes very earthly towards the end, even though he's so deeply connected. Uh, yeah, to to aliens and everything else. Yep. Quote: I have heard people saying I have seen little green men and have been anal probed when I had my back turned. When I have turned around and confronted them, they they clam up. I tell them they are not little. They are not green. Well, I said, apart from the huge green dragon race, end quote. And I'll say it is definitely a lot easier to prove uh, to probe you when you have your back turned. I'm just saying so. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. So he's already now he's actually talking about, you know, being a little more forthcoming about his story. And of mm -hmm. course, people's natural reactions to his because. You've had this stuff locked up way too long. You've got too much lore already. You can't explain this because he can't bring up one part and go, well, I have to bring it back. Uh, so there's a place called the Clubby, right? And yep. there's these shadow guys there and aliens. Like, oh, wait, all right, we're listening. And then like 20 minutes in, they're like, all right. I'm pretty sure this dude got probed a little too hard. Yeah, uh, pretty sure that, uh, yeah, whatever happened to him in school just really got to him and like his parents wouldn't let him go back to the Clubby. Uh, but... He begins to feel concerned about the possibility of not returning from one of his space missions and contemplating his own mortality. One night, while riding his bike into town, he drove past a shop and chills went down his spine as the reflection in the window looked nothing like him. He saw himself in a black room surrounded by aliens in blue suits wearing white aprons. They sprayed something into his eyes, nose, and ears, leaving a metallic taste in his mouth. One of the alien doctors opened one of his eyes and inserted a spoon-shaped instrument. Following this, something was inserted into his nostrils, and he was told to swallow it, which he complied with. And lastly, a device was inserted into his ear, resulting in a loud popping sound. He was advised to remain immobile until the implants had settled. Russ joined his companions for another mission. He... Mandy and Judas donned their respective badges of honor and congratulatory capes. The tall TWBA commander told them, quote, Today we stand together as one to fight our enemies. Some time ago, I found a plan to destroy my home planet along with my race, then to move on to all the other planets in this universe. Our scientists and technical departments have been working continuously to prevent the catastrophe that would amount to 
to what you have seen so many times before in your history as genocide. We are not a warring race, but some of our race chose to stand and fight and fight alongside you in hope to end this war once and for all. Go now to end this war. Yes, us and our long legacy and all of you very strange humans that we picked very randomly mm -hmm. to download information how to fight us and now you love us as well. Yes. Yeah, this was this was the big speech moment. This is like Gandalf like getting the forces together to for the their final battle. Mhm. Mm yep. And Russ continues, I started to clap my hands as I felt everything he was saying. As I did so, the sound of me clapping my hands echoed all around. The aliens stopped in their tracks and looked my way. I was still clapping when Judas used his telepathy to tell me to stop clapping as it's disrespectful. I told him it's a mark of respect. Then I told the alien leader this through my telepathy. The alien leader turned and looked right at me. I stepped forwards and clapped even more. To my surprise, the leader bowed his head to me. And that is when everyone started to clap in the center. Literally, everyone clapped. Yeah, everyone Beep. clapped. It's it's unbelievable. It, you wouldn't think that it would actually show up in a story. But I love the way you do it. Is it he, he's so Hollywood. He starts his own slow clap. For the guy's speech, and they're like, "Dude, we all have telepathy. It's bouncing off the walls. Like, it's it's drumming in our heads. We we just wiggle our fingers at each other. We don't do that." He's like, "No, this is respect." And yeah, of course, everyone clapped. Yep, and the rest of the tall, white, bald aliens bowed their heads too. Like this is that scene from Return of the King, and everyone in the center. <laughs> Then the leader continued to walk towards the transporter conveyor, followed by the rest of the group. So everybody, this rousing speech uh, and to the sounds of drums and trumpets, Russ faced not only dragons wearing combat boots, but his greatest fear, elevators. As a child, he was stuck in one for hours and was forever traumatized by the experience. Yeah. And uh, I love that. I love that of all the things if, out of nowhere. It's like, also, he had to ride an elevator at one point. It's like, whoa, you do. You, you guys know he was stuck in one as a child. It's like, well, no, he hasn't mentioned it now. It's like the deepest recesses of Russ's brain yeah. are on display right now. And, oh, you didn't even realize I had a secret enemy. It's like, oh, the elevator. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Yes. So they enter an elevator and descend to a subterranean metropolis situated deep underground. Unfortunately, it was too late as the enemy ran away with their captives and slaves defeated and ashamed, Russ and his team retreated to their base. As a result of these battles, Russ has been left physically and mentally shattered, even though I'm pretty sure he was mentally shattered before this. Uh, his hearing was significantly impaired, and he constantly perspired and experienced pain, dizziness, nosebleeds, choking spells, and double vision. The situation deteriorated to the point that he was hospitalized twice, and there is concern that he may have meningitis or a brain tumor. He overhears doctors talking about how he might have, quote unquote, space sickness. Yeah, when I when I read the space sickness, I was like, it reminded me of space madness. So that's the yes. only other space related disease I could think of. And he was he's someone who really could have benefited from that abduction insurance that they were selling yeah. in, 
in, in Gulf Breeze. Now, if he had only known about that, he's got so many experiences to, to, to be like, look, my eyes are shot, everything's shot. I, I, I'm fighting these great wars out there. There's no, but you have to think going through all this, they got to have some kind of benefits uh, process for them, some kind I, of veterans. I would hope so. But I mean, like, you know, you know how the VA system. We will publish one book from you. Yeah. And those, those funds and the podcast that will come from them shall sustain you. Yeah, exactly. Like, we know how VA benefits work these days. And, like, uh, he needs a side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. He, he does need a side hustle. And, yeah, you, you don't want that quote unquote UFO madness that Ed Walters was talking about. Nobody needs that. Um, it's just space sickness, which I think just means, I don't know, some kind of radio. I mean, this guy's already had his face melted off. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know what else he could possibly go through. I guess he just got better. Yeah. He looks uh, normal now. Yeah, he does look normal now. Um, he recalls, quote, I was seeing specialists as the doctor did not know what the cause of my illness was. It took a few years before someone came up with the idea of an illness called M.E. myelagic encephalitis myelitis or chronic fatigue syndrome uh, i prefer to call it what it is time travel and teleportation syndrome or sickness end quote so yeah that makes a little more sense uh that that would uh i guess explain the fatigue the 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 the, the rigors the body must go through to make these constant space uh, trips and go through these weird portals and mm -hmm. and basically going through i don't know jeff goldblum fly uh, uh transportation technology constantly yeah and upon his release from the hospital, he was visited by his friend, Alan, uh, however you want to spell that, uh, who offered to help him uh, rebalance his chi energy. And on his way home, he was abducted again. <laughs> and Judas signaled to Russ to pay attention to the upcoming speech by the leader of the TWBA, who spoke about the importance of their fight against a plan to destroy their planet and the universe. Despite their race not being known for war, again, they keep harping on this, some chose to fight with humans. The speech ended with a call for action for everyone to work together to end the war. After the speech, unit leaders gave orders for their next mission, providing weapons and batteries to the soldiers. Uh, Russ and his unit went through a larger doorway and joined other aliens to secure the area. The telepath scouts sent uh, ahead. They engaged in a battle against heavily armed enemy soldiers, resulting in heavy losses, but ultimately emerging victorious. The unit paid respect to their fallen comrades before continuing their mission, with uh, Russ wondering how many more battles they would have to face to end the war. And he had always wanted to see the pyramids, man. It was and it was his lucky day. There stood a colossal pyramid, 20 times bigger than any of the ones in Egypt, made of white stone with mysterious symbols and carvings. A scout telepathically told him to investigate an unknown energy source inside that could be an enemy target. Quote, all, all the traveling this guy does and he hasn't seen a pyramid yet. Mm. He's been through the furthest reaches of the galaxy fighting a, a, a multitude of different alien things. He's like, whoa, a pyramid. It's like you could have gone to Memphis and seen the Bass Pro Shop. And <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously. Get your ass to Tennessee, man. Um, 
Quote, the images of the enemy and their allies come up on our visual aid. I was looking at the enemy's images, looking like gods from the films I had watched about Egypt and the pharaohs, gods and demigods. All the enemies were tall, about 10 foot tall, and was like an Egyptian with a strange color, almost red in skin tone with long black hair. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is when he went through his phase of binging Stargate. You know that. Like, all of a sudden, oh, that's what I was mentioning earlier, that, yes, he started drawing these horsemen and bullmen and mm-hmm. everything becomes very Egyptian centric almost as if later on in the story he uh he was aware of that aspect of the the Egyptian aspect yeah yeah um there were others too again just as tall as an Egyptian again with a strange color almost red in skin tone but with a bull's head the other Egyptian and pharaoh type was a strange color almost red in skin tone with a horse's head there was a mix of their allies the first Egyptian was a strange with a strange red skin tone had allies that looked like humanoids with reptilian features while the other Egyptians with the horse and bull heads and al- had allies that looked like giant scorpions and serpents. It was a truly bizarre sight to see. End quote. And that was the mummy two, the yeah. scorpion king yeah. in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other big influence. I realized there was a lot of uh, Egyptian stuff going on at that time. And maybe that's just like, you know, one of the last like big pop culture moments where he was super into it. Cause that definitely is uh, one of the last things he really references. Like his older things. Yeah. Definitely are of the time, except the super soldier stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Yep. And oh man uh the enemy forces were composed of three distinct groups each with its own unique allies one group fought alongside greys another group had blonde haired six foot tall allies whereas the third group had russian allies the complex was like a sprawling city with aircrafts tanks and jeeps the different races appeared to be fighting as a combined force against the humans when asked why they wanted to kill humans the team leader explained that they wanted our resources and saw humans as a threat this revelation filled russ with fear and unease knowing they were up against such formidable opponents after all this time, he hasn't realized, like, wait, why are you guys, like, want to fight us? He's like, yeah. well, you have a lot of stuff, and we want to, to kill you. Oh, no! It's like, well, you've been killing these guys for decades at this point. Decades. It's been decades. He's been in so many wars. He's done so many things, and he's, he's surprised by everything. He's gone through that tunnel so many times at this point. And every time he sees it, he's like, whoa, what is that thing? Is that a tunnel? And he like goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah, the, totally it's forgot the space about that tunnel, tunnel again. Yeah. Um, so the unit received a briefing on its mission to sabotage the enemy's power source and eliminate its forces. The battle it was pretty intense. The unit encountered heavy resistance. Uh, having successfully navigated through the pyramid, the team reached the center and retrieved a golden box. Mandy seemed to know more about the box than she initially let on. During the debriefing, the team leader comment, uh, commended them for their mission success and revealed that the box contained critical information about the war effort. Mandy was praised for her bravery and quick thinking while securing the box. A device was used to scan the box, which contained advanced technology from ancient human civilization that existed millions of years ago. Of course. This is why you bring stripper telepaths with you. Mm -hmm. And also, I got to say, one great element he put in this story is that 
I don't know why. For some reason, this Judas guy, I always thought was just going to betray him. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just <laughs> yeah. got this weird feeling. Yeah. His friend Judas might betray him, but that actually never happens at no. all. Like, no. Judas is actually a pretty cool dude. And so, and Mandy's great. Yeah. Uh, he, Judas was surprised by the discovery and expressed the need for further analysis. As the team dispersed, Russ noticed Mandy leaving and wondered about the secrets she might be keeping on Earth. wondering why Judas looked so unkissed. Yes. Come here, my butt. Uh, on Earth, Russ decided to sell his bike and take driving lessons with the goal of assisting his disabling father in getting around town. And during a visit from his girlfriend, Michelle, one evening, and this is the first time we're hearing about her, she shared an encounter she had recently experienced similar to his. While watching TV with a friend, the walls of her room suddenly turned black and people dressed like ninjas came out of the walls with one resembling him. Mm -hmm. Oh, this could be an alternate timeline or some mm -hmm. kind of clone or something they've made of Russ. This is Ninja Clone Russ. It is Ninja He's Clone He's also a Russ. shadow person, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, I'm assuming that she has, like, you know, a lot of bad bets and that she has to pay for now. Uh, it's, and it's a crying shame. It really is. Um, <laughs> Poor girl, we just met Michelle. She's already being attacked by ninjas. He's yeah. finally got a girlfriend. I know. Like, what the hell? Um... So Russ got a job at a water plant with the absolute worst schedule ever, necessitating him to work from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., and often even longer. Despite the job being physically arduous, it had a positive impact on his health and fitness, resulting in him getting into shape. Say, this is the first mention of a job yeah. ever. Like yeah. It's like, okay, well, he left high school, he never finished, and became a soldier and yes. he's fighting aliens and this is going on for many many years and they're like finally like russ you need to get a job <laughs> go to the water plant it's like the hours are terrible we don't care you need money michelle yep. is being attacked by ninjas we need to somehow defend her <laughs> you you've uh, yeah you've got to throw like look you you made a lot of bad bets you gotta pay for them so you're gonna have to go work at the water plant and uh, it's time to grow up, Russ. You need to learn to drive a car, not a Vespa, and yeah. you need a job. Like I noticed that too. Where like it's way later in the story. Like so, uh, once his father became sick, Russ was like, you know what? I guess like, I should drive one of those car things. Dad can't fit on the back of the Vespa. He's almost immobile. I can't drag his wheelchair with it. So I guess I have to learn how to drive a car. Like it's, it's like all the things the aliens taught you: driving. You never drive some weird space tank and yeah. like kill a bunch of things. And no, I'm driving. No, yeah. no, 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 killing. Yes, driving. Mm -mm. Yeah, um, but he wasn't giving up his career with with UFOs. He became a UFO investigator, placed advertisements in magazines and newspapers, and he received a call from a man who had witnessed a triangular-shaped object landing uh, near a dam, and the man took, uh, took him to the location, and it was crawling with security more than usual. Uh, and the following day at work, Russ was summoned to his boss's office where two police officers interrogated him regarding his presence at the dam. Russ explained that he was investigating a UFO case and his boss directed him to resume work. Russ attempted Russ, to... Russ, uh, we saw you at the dam. <laughs> what are you doing, buddy? What are we? What were you doing up there, buddy? Yeah. All the cops are wondering. Uh, UFO stuff, because I'm like a UFO guy. That's almost even uh, scarier that he's like, after all of these, these things, uh, I'm just a paranormal investigator. Like, hey, I'll put an ad out. If you need, uh, if you have questions about UFO, call me. Yeah. Like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You want to hear my story? And they hear it, they're like, all right, no, I didn't see anything. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, 
I wasn't going up there to blow up that dam at all. I don't know. I don't know what you're asking me. You I know? wasn't going to James Bond off the side of it with this long bungee cord I brought with me. I swear. I swear. Uh, like, that movie just came out, Ross. We know you're going to do that. We know you've been playing Goldeneye at your house. Yeah. Uh, so he attempts to contact this witness again, but disappears off the face of the earth. He never hears from him again. Um, so... Russ had to give up martial arts because of the chronic pain caused by his illness. And additionally, his interest in covering the truth about UFOs significantly decreased with the size of his social circle. He decided to resign from the water plant and opened his own military surplus store. And despite the challenges, he found satisfaction in being his own boss and interacting with customers at his store. And he made new friends, but at a cost. He recalls, quote, it is funny how suddenly I started to have friends again, all wanting a good discount. More like something for nothing, end quote. <laughs> yeah, they're like, this store has multiple of every rank. Like, how many ranks did you have? These are the coolest space camos I've ever seen. No one has this stuff. He's like, well, yeah, the first year I was an Enzyme and a private and a sergeant and a major and this. And I got like 10 of each outfit. So, yeah, he's probably got a great amount. That would be a great army serve. I would love to have seen uh, Russ's. Russ's army surplus store uh, being, yeah. a, being a, a member of the OSS yeah. original secret space. Yeah. Original super, super soldiers. Soldier. Yeah. Um, so this group became quite popular and soon enough, the number of attendees grew so much that Russ had to rent uh, a hall to accommodate everybody or so he claims. And one day two ex special forces members visited Russ's store and engaged in a heated argument about alien abduction with him. And during the discussion, one of them warned Russ that he wouldn't be so clever if he ever encountered an alien craft or an actual extraterrestrial being in real life. As they left, they cackled at him, hurting his feelings. And one turned and said, I don't know what you're doing with them aliens, but they turned up in South Amaga on, on an operation. Um... Now, see, to me, this was one of the most uh, believable parts of the story. Now, I'm, I'm sure you can actually prove that he had an army surplus store. Mm -hmm. But the fact that some guys came in and were like, yeah, when we were fighting the IRA, we we actually had aliens with us. You don't know what you're talking about, dude. Like, you weren't in part of any of that. We know. And that that's the If there is any nugget of truth and maybe something that actually set him on this path, dude, that, that could have been part of it, too. Like, I... That's one part. I don't know why I don't doubt it. I don't know why he would add that anecdote of people making fun of him. Because he's at the point where he should be making fun of others. But it's still in his mm -hmm. story. He's still getting uh, just clowned by people. I like that. I like that little part. I mean, it makes you want to look into, like, uh, aliens involved in the, uh, you know, IRA battles and stuff. Yeah. Um, he adds, uh, but here's a question. Why the hell would two members of a special forces team tell me that a team in South Arma... Uh, that were in foxholes watching the IRA and came face to face with an alien race. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a wild ass story. Um, compared to his, like I'm saying, yeah. I, that, that's why I looked at. It. I was like, oh well, compared to his, I'm like, all right, I can believe that. I, yeah. believe, I can believe that over, over over everything else. I would like to see proof of Mandy, but anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so while on a solo UFO skywatch one night, Russ spotted a golden ball of light in the sky and watched it for about 15 minutes. He then went back to his car to get his camera, but when he returned to the location, the object had gone. However, a different object appeared in its place, a triangle with three white lights. And without hesitation, Russ turned on his camera and captured footage of the UFO. Later, while reviewing the footage in his car... 
A bright white light enveloped him and he found himself in a circular room with a checkered floor surrounded by the knights he had previously encountered. They made him sit in a chair and shortly after he was in a battle suit. Then a familiar man entered the room and motioned for him to take a seat in another chair. The man proceeded to fit a helmet to Russ's head and gave him orders. The next thing Russ recalls is being back in his car with an unsettling sensation that he had been hypnotized or programmed to do something against his will. Ooh, this, so it, it's definitely progress. He's uh, he's pulling a lot of things they've done before. He's back on the chessboard and with the knight's heads. But now he, his his character has grown a little more. He gets armor and helmets. But, but for nothing, like you just kind of, all right, and now you're back and now you're in a car, you're not on a bike. Mm-hmm. So you're a little bit safer than just aimlessly going through a tunnel on a Vespa, barely conscious. Yeah. So Russ's story concludes akin to a Netflix series canceled after one season with numerous loose ends and unanswered questions, leaving you feeling cheated and disappointed. However... He leaves us with a bad picture of his mental of his medical record as proof of his experience and the following shitty epilogue. Quote, there you are. You have my story or you can call it my testimony. Everything I have wrote here in this book is what I remember where I can where I can. I have got together paperwork to back my story up where possible. The paperwork I am talking about is mostly from my medical records. There are parts of my story that I cannot prove, as such, for instance, like the time when I was in the hospital when I had two doctors talking about me and my illness. One of the doctors said to the other, if he did not know any better, he would swear that I had space sickness. Space space sickness, I thought to myself. What does that doctor mean? I had a little look on the... uh, uh, the WWW of what was the space sickness. I was taken aback at what I found. The word space sickness meant the effects on astronauts in outer space. This affects them when they are in a no-gravity situation for too long. Strange how I am talking about aliens taking me to what I can only call out in space and other planets. Then there is the time when I was in my bedroom when the gable end of my bedroom wall turned black this is when the shadow people walked through the wall and one of the shadow people spoke to me at the time general norman schwarzkopf and the u.s army had taken kuwait on 2nd august 1990 this is known as operation desert storm slash shield part of the war in the middle east end quote <laughs> Again, he's so I'm putting his uh his his military stuff and his uh the interest in the I don't know the desert and war. It's you know this guy uh, E.T. Rider, you you come down a long road. I, it's his story is so it's it follows so many like you know pop culture things, but it also uh is very. Very generic at times. Very, very generic. But he's so much to it. Very imaginary, imaginative guy. I don't know what to think of him. He, he seems new on the scene, too. He's only come out with this a couple of years ago. And he's laying out decades of just absolute strangeness with the tiniest thread of medical records to mm-hmm. kind of back it up. The fact that he heard a doctor maybe say, space madness. He's like, that's what I have. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, th- this is how 
This is how Jeff ends this. Uh, Russ's tale is a poignant parallel to the enigmatic nature of existence itself. Life, like his story, confronts us with a multitude of unanswered questions hovering over a vast void of ambiguity and devoid of conclusive answers. Alternatively, it's just a really shitty book. <laughs> it is. And he should have he should have kind of found a better way to kill that giant dragon. It would have made it way more uh, or the, or a good, you know, find something to do after that great speech that just pulled everyone together. But no, he had to bog it down once he like decided like, what about the Chinese and African people? Like, let's worry about them too. It's like, <laughs> well, I don't they're not part of really part of the lore. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh but the fact that I think I don't know what he wants out of this. I don't know. Maybe I it is. I, I don't know because uh, it is. The book is literally called Russell Kellett. Kellett? Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Kellett? We haven't said his name. We're just calling him Russ the entire time, which is, oh, by the way, I mean, I love, we, said, uh, we said the name at the beginning, but I mean, like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. Is he is E.T. Ryder. Yes. He is E.T. Ryder. Now, there is a kicker, folks. So he did an interview in 2020, and he claims that during an abduction, he saw pop singer Robbie Williams aboard a spaceship in 1999. Uh, quote, he was part of my military unit. He, Williams, was behind me. We had helmets on. I was ready to go on a mission. I looked at him. He must have been leader one. I said, don't I know you from somewhere? Robbie will. Uh, an alien then shouted, get back in line. You, do you not can't say his name here. <laughs> yeah. You do not mess with these dudes, he adds. This is serious stuff. It is not a joke. It is called an abduction. This is happening to more people than you realize. But keep on watching television and the adverts. Uh, I love how they're fussing at him so much. He's like, I'm group two leader. Like, he's just group one leader. Like, we're almost peers at this point. But yes, did you know the singer Robbie Williams before this? Yes. Yeah, I wasn't that much aware. I think I've heard the name. He was in like a boy band and a British he, boy band. In the I 90s. Remember, but he's also a he's also a solo singer. Yeah. yeah, he has some very, very famous songs. I've actually listened to a couple of them before here. But yeah, that is the, the famous person that he pulled It's like, oh, he was out there too. go ask him. And I think someone did ask him and he mm -hmm. uh, he said, quote, no comment. Mm -hmm. uh, which, if anyone asked me that, if I was a, a, a famous uh, boy band singer turned solo singer, I would definitely say the same thing. Like, were you actually in space with this weird guy? I'd be like, no oh, comment. I can't talk about that. Yeah. Um, he, I, like, uh, Robbie Williams, I, if I recall correctly, does have an interest in UFOs and stuff. And he allegedly visited Skinwalker Ranch. But, um, you know, he, he's got some That's connections a story for another day. That is a story sure. for another day. But um, this this madness, this madness is. um, Yeah, it's. um, This is a man oh. that clearly ha went through some trauma in his life, and it has definitely manifested in, in such a way that um, he is the hero of his own story. And uh, it's very clear that whatever happened to him then the beatings that he sustained clearly did some damage to him like there's really no doubt about it now i mean if you read like because i did read like little bits of his book and you can tell in the way that it's written that uh yeah this dude kind of just has some issues yeah but to, to get to the point of, of being published and mm -hmm. i mean people commenting on you and i will say and I, I think one of the reasons that he uh is taken i don't know slightly seriously this is one thing uh we haven't mentioned is that in in 2002 he did have a fairly viral ufo video mm -hmm. 
Um, I don't know when he actually released it. I know you can see that it is filmed on a video camera that which with the little date, you know, numbers mm -hmm. in the corner of it. But it does look like a dolphin flying through the air. Yeah. If you look up, if you look up the name of uh, of Russ Kellett on YouTube, you will find the video of uh, of a UFO. But it it does look like a dolphin flying mm -hmm. around, and uh, he doesn't mention much in the book. But this is this is actually some. Uh, I don't know what to think of it. it. Could be just a big balloon. It is is recorded on an old VHS camera, so it's very hard to tell. It's very shaky, but when it does stabilize, it does look like a dolphin just floating around. It does. It, it does look like a dolphin, and like that's the story of Russ Kellett. You could take it. It or really leave it. is. Yeah. It really is. There's two things. If you look them up, you'll see the dolphin uh, flying video and this book, which we have. Definitely gotten very deep into in a great way. This is a fun one to cover. This is a really fun uh, story, even though it might be rooted in some kind of tragedy. But man, if if it's real, wow, who knew? You think he would have crossed over with some of the other people like John Storm or uh, David Wilcock or any of those people in the secret space program because yeah. he seems so heavily involved in it. But the fact that they are not mentioned at all is you're just like, oh, OK, you're just uh, you're just having fun up there. And you wrote us a great book to talk about. Yeah, and and I think when you take into consideration at the time when it was published, there were a number of stories about people fighting battles on Mars. You had Randy Kramer, you had uh, Corey Good, you had like uh, this group of people that had started to come forward in the mid like twenty tens with their stories about being super soldiers fighting wars against aliens on Mars and stuff like that. And like, is this? A story of a man who wanted to desperately be a part of that and wanted desperately to be a part of something and to get some notoriety in his life, you know, some way and putting himself. Circuit. Yeah. And making himself get on the, Gaia. He wants to end up on Gaia. Yeah. He wants to maybe get a show, uh, be, be some kind of consultant. Get on that. That that circuit is, I guess, somehow lucrative for a lot of people. Yeah. They can get away with uh, doing that. Hey, I uh, I might try to get him on Believer Skeptic. I think I'd get him on there. I think he should. But what, what's he doing? I, you would have to. I would. You would. I would have to pop you in. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah. You know that. <laughs> like you'd have to be there. It would be great. Yeah. No. It, it would be great. Um. And. Uh, that's where we leave the story of Russ Kellett, the E.T. writer himself. Uh, dude, thank you so much for coming on for this episode. Also, thank you. It's been so strange hearing my name so constantly. <laughs> I I, I, it never <laughs> comes up in anything. I know, and uh, and to hear that, this is this is a great uh, great pairing for uh, our coverage of Carl Higdon having two Robs and now two Russes. It's too much. And uh, I, thank you so much for having me on. I, I great show. I love being on. So thank you for having me. Yeah. So. Uh, Folks, you should go check out The Unbelievers. It's a great podcast. I was recently on it. We talked about Carl Igden and um, his elk and, um, you know, uh, all that good goodness that uh, is associated with the Carl Higdon abduction. So go check out The Unbelievers. Uh, you know where you can find us. Just go to ourstrangeguys.com. You can find links to everything. You can find us on most podcasting apps. Um uh, you know the whole spiel, folks, but um, I'll just end this by saying, and finally, don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or while riding your sweet, sweet chopper into an alien portal into battle against a reptilian alien forces in gray we trust. I saw the